enough about that. Our scripture reading this morning is in Galatians chapter 3, if you would turn to this. Galatians chapter 3. Thanks for participating in One Church, being here today. I'm so glad you're here. We'll be back to our format of a 9.15 and an 11 o'clock next Sunday. We do this about once a quarter and try to make it something special with it, like the Super Bowl party today. Last time we had a wiener roast afterwards, we try to do that. So, just to let you know a little bit. Um, we have a chart, I think, that shows our journey here. We, uh, for those of you who are just catching up with us, if you don't have one of these charts, you don't have the uh, reading schedule and all, you can grab one of those back at the Welcome Center after the service. And what I called Act Chapter 1 is the story of the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, how God used that as His channel of redemption. I've talked a lot about that. I'm not going to unwrap that again today. But we're going to talk today uh, about Act 2, which is the story of the, the church. That's what we're living in now, where God's channel of redemption is the church. This was after the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is the economy that we are living in right now. Okay, I'm not going to unwrap too much about that. We're going to be back to that and looking at that um, again in several more weeks as we finish our way through that. I want to kind of put this on pause today and I want to talk about a big question that I think people grapple with and often misunderstand and go to the scriptures and try to unwrap this. And so today it's going to be a little bit, it's a, I'm going to be working through this passage in Galatians 3 and I'm going to be talking about the, uh, the conflict that, that people sometimes find between Grace, our, our, our faith, our simple belief, and law works um, where God says, I will, which is grace, and compared to where we see elsewhere in Scripture, it says, you must, like the law. So, how do we reconcile law and grace? And to, lay, to talk about this, I want to lay a foundation for this. The foundation started in Genesis chapter 12 with God's call to Abraham. So we're going to start with that in Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The, the Lord said to Abram, I'll be back to Galatians 3, just hold your place there. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And then what did he say? He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 1 through 12, 1 through 3. And this is what we call the promise. God gave this promise to Abraham. He said, I will. When God says, I will, that doesn't mean that Abraham, it it was all on God. It was all grace. You get to Genesis 15, verse 6. We read about Abraham, and it says, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How was Abraham saved? Abraham was saved by faith, by belief in God. It's the way, same way that people are saved today, is by our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham was looking ahead to when Jesus was come. We look back. Jesus who's already come. He was saved by faith. And yet we have a seed here in 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk in relationship with me, receive my grace and be blameless. 
do these things that you ought to do. So there's a seed there of this whole idea we call the law. 430 years later, after the captivity in Egypt, they're going out on the Exodus and they get to Mount Sinai and God gives them all these laws, all these things that they're supposed to do. Whereas with Abraham, he said, I will. Now he's saying, you must. So how do we reconcile God saying, I will, and showing grace to us with the law that says we must work, we must do, you must? How do we reconcile those things? Galatians chapter 3 is our text this morning, beginning in verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, and I lost my place. Let me find my way back. Verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like you to learn just one thing. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? if it really was for nothing. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, the Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, but meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depended on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? 
it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, excuse me, might be given to those who believe. I'm going to stop there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his own word. A lot of stuff there, isn't it? How in the world is he going to work through that in 30 minutes? I don't know. We're going to find out. Let's, let's see what we can do. Galatians 3.2, what does it say? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? The answer is by believing what you heard. Verse 5, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the working of the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And the answer is by believing what you heard. It's not by the law. So we see, we see that God is at work by belief, by faith. But it started all the way back with Abraham. This is not a new concept. This is the way God has saved people all through the Bible. This is how he embraced them in relationship all through the Bible. So what about this law? What about the Ten Commandments? Pastor, are you tearing down the Ten Commandments? God forbid. No, no, no. So I'm going to share with you, and I hope this makes sense, five guidelines for law and grace from this text. Five guidelines, and I'm going to ask four questions and try to answer them, and then I'm going to have a conclusion at the end. So hang on with me and uh, take notes or follow on your handy-dandy device that Nate just told you about and, uh, and see if you can track with me. Question number one, how was Abraham, the father of God's chosen nation, saved? Well, I just laid that out. He was saved by faith. He was saved by faith in God, not by works. God's plan has always been that he has shown grace to us. Grace is when we get something that we don't work for. Grace is a gift. It literally means unmerited favor. Grace is what God has shown to us. People have always been saved by grace. And so we have here, he quotes Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. And he says, if we believe this, we're part of Abraham's lineage. And we saw that a few weeks ago when we were talking about true Israel, true Israel, this, you know, the difference between biological Israel and the people who are true Israel and know God. They're children of Abraham. They're the children of faith. So the answer is, how was Abraham saved? He was saved by faith. And in fact, in verse 11, it says this. No one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. No one is ever saved by keeping the laws of God. Let me be clear. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, he goes all the way back. You see, this is not a new concept. We're going back what is it, 3,500 years to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, that's to us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
covers a lot of ground all the way from Abraham to the coming of the Holy Spirit to us today in that one verse. So we are children of Abraham in a very real sense. And the answer to Abraham is that we are all saved by faith. Question number two, does the law replace the prior covenant of grace? So if in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I'm going to save you, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, it's going to be a work of grace, and he believed God in, in Genesis 15, 6, and it was counted to him for righteousness. We fast forward 430 years where the Israelites are on the way on the, out of Egypt on the Exodus, and they come to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. Does this new, is this a new plan? Does it do away with the old plan? Now, you and I know that, um, well, let me give you an example. Because sometimes we hear that and we think, well, maybe that happens. Because, you know, the government, the government made a law back here, okay? They made these rules and regulations for uh, the tax code. And all of a sudden, you fast forward to now, and they change it. And all of a sudden, I've got to go by the new tax code instead of the old tax code. So is it like that? Did God kind of change the system? What does it say in our text? Verses 17 and 18. What I I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. He says, he's not doing away with that. God's word is sure. Every promise that God has made is secure. God is not the U.S. government, praise God. (laughs) Lots of levels, okay, lots of levels there. Without getting into politics, oh my. Um, God doesn't change. God doesn't annul his promises. The law does not disannul God's promise to act by grace. So we today have every right to stand on this covenant of grace that goes all the way back to Father Abraham. So did the law replace grace? No, it did not. Question number three. So what was the purpose of the law? If the law didn't replace grace, if it wasn't a new covenant, if it wasn't a new plan, what was the purpose? Why give it? It's a fair question. Verse 19 in our text says this, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added, it was added, which means in addition, in addition to what? The grace. It was added because of transgressions until the seed, that's speaking of Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. So, so this is the idea. It was placed alongside. The, the law doesn't change grace. It doesn't take away grace. It was placed alongside of grace. And so we have them operating side by side. They are both operating at the same time. We want to say either or. No, let's not. Let's not do that. Grace is is for salvation and it saves us and God does things that he does but there's also a place for law where God says you must do these things and you do these things and you will prosper and you will flourish now so what was the purpose of the law the purpose of the law here said was added because of transgressions the purpose of the law was to bring us the knowledge of sin Let me use a, a baseball metaphor here for a minute. There's a, a baseball field. It looks like a, maybe a little league field, okay? Um, 
the the batter stands down here by home plate. Everybody knows that. And then you got those lines. One runs this way and one runs that. What, what are those called? Baseline? Foul line? Yeah, that's what they are. So, so um, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of a, a foul line? It's a boundary. It's a boundary. It tells you if the ball is in it's fair or if it's foul. And if it's foul, it's what does the batter have to do? Has to come back and try again, doesn't he? If the ball's not hit into fair territory. Now, how do if we didn't have those foul lines? Is it cricket that doesn't have any lines that they just play the ball anywhere they go or something? That is bizarre. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but but we need those lines because they tell us what's legit and what's not legit. What's a fair ball and what's a foul ball? And you see, God gave us the law to show us our sin and show us that basically we hit a lot of foul balls <laughs> in, our, in our lives. We, we fall short of the standard. We don't, we, we, we don't make it. We don't measure up. And, and so the law was given to us to show us our sin, to show us that we are transgressors. We don't measure up. I want to tell you, none of us here can keep the Ten Commandments in word, thought, or deed. None of us. None of us. So question number four. So is the law against the promises of God? Is the law, is law against grace? Again, people tend to well, say it's either law or grace, and they see them as antagonistic. Now, the Bible speaks directly to this, and we know our verse from Ephesians, for you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace alone. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by keeping the law. Yet it seems like God said to Abraham, I will, and then he said, you must, when we get to the law. So, is law against the promise of God? And Paul answers it here in the text. He said, absolutely not. He said, if there was a law that could give life, then God would have done it that way. If the law could have brought life, then God would have used that system. He does not use that system. So, what's the purpose? Is it against the law of God? What's the purpose of it? Well, to show us our sin. But the law was never... To make us come alive. We only come alive through grace and by faith in Christ. It's, it's always the grace of God. It's never the law. So, so that's why I have a mirror up here today. And so um, the purpose of this mirror. Have you ever thought about the purpose of a mirror? Well, the purpose of a mirror is for you to look in and see if there's some road work that needs to be done. Um, you look in the mirror, and for me, it's usually toothpaste on the side of my mouth, or I need to brush my hair, or something. Ha 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 ha! It doesn't take long. But 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 I never brush my teeth with the mirror. They show me I'm they 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 may show I've got toothpaste on the side of my mouth, and I need to wash my face. Or I may see you have broccoli in my teeth and I need to brush my teeth. 
I can see that in the mirror. It shows me that, but it never, this mirror has never helped me get ready to go to work, okay? It's never brushed my teeth. It's never brushed my hair. It's never washed my face. It just shows me that I need to do something. That's what the law does. The law shows us our shortcoming. The, 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 it's like this mirror. It shows us that we need to do something. It doesn't do it. It's never the role of that mirror to make us clean. The role of the law is to help us to see our need of God. Then it's the grace of God that saves us. Now, I've talked some about this in the Old Testament in the Old Testament, the, the believers in the Old Testament were looking forward and they had all these wonderful prophecies in the Old Testament about there was a Messiah, there was a Savior, there was a Redeemer coming. And they were saved looking by putting their faith in God, but looking and recognizing one day a Messiah would come, Jesus. We're saved today, we're looking back. Jesus has already come and we're looking back at that. I love the verses in chapter 4. Let me read them, starting in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you into an heir. And I didn't read the verses because I didn't have time, the last part of chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. And it talks about how the law, another picture that's given to us is that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, to teach us. It's not against the promise, but it had a role to bring us to God. So those are four questions and answers. The conclusion is this, Messiah has come and we have been relieved from the law. The law was to lead us to faith, but never to provide what faith does. Now, the law was designed for a season of time. There is a progressive nature to the Bible. There's a progressive nature to what God is going, what God is doing all through the Bible. And Garen has done some great work on this, some great study on this. In fact, he's going to preach next Sunday for me, and he's going to unwrap this some more, the progressive nature of how law and grace works together. But I want to say this uh, about the law. It was, it, was, it was not a bad thing that needed to be abolished. It's a good thing whose purpose has been accomplished as this tutor to bring us to God. So I just said that the law has been accomplished. Now, when we think about laws, we think about what you must do. Sometimes we think about works. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, and I'm kind of, I got to admit, I'm going to talk out the other side of my mouth for a minute. So, we may not have to keep the law, we're saved by faith and we live by faith, but are there things that God says to us, you must do this, you should do this, this is the way you should live? Well, I would be less than true to the rest of the New Testament <laughs> If I didn't say, yeah, there are some other things in the Bible that we are to do. And we may not call them the law, we may call them works or commands or whatever. What's the purpose of these things for us today, the commands of God? 
I, I have a quote that, that makes, mo- makes a lot of sense to me from Robertson McQuilkin. The law never was intended to make us righteous. That's what I just said. The law simply shows us what we ought to be. For the lost sinner, this is good news, for it leads him to the Savior. For the saved sinner, this is good news, for it describes clearly what he is growing toward, what he longs to be in order to satisfy his Savior, likeness to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to leave that up for a minute. I want you to chew on that for a minute. Because I've laid a good foundation that for the, for the lost person, the law is what shows us we've fallen short, these things that we're supposed to do. But the things we're supposed to do, what about that in the life of the saved sinner, the person who has committed their lives to Christ? What about the commands of God for us? Do we just say, well, I'm saved by faith in Christ plus alone, no works, so I can just go do whatever I want to do? Well, the Bible doesn't allow that. It's pretty clear. You get over to James, and it says faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. So I think there's a real place for this, and I think, but I think we need to understand that this kind of obedience, this kind of wanting to please God, this kind of wanting to do what God has told us to do and be obedient to Him follows salvation. It follows salvation. The person who knows God wants to please God. The person who doesn't know God doesn't want to please God. Or if they're doing it, they're trying to earn salvation through it, and that'll never work because you can't keep all the laws. I kind of see it this way. After salvation, the law, if you want to call it that, or the you must, or the works, or being obedient to God's commands, are the overflow of genuine faith in our lives. You see, God works in us by His Spirit as a child of God, and we want to please God. We want to please God. That's the overflow of our life. And so when we read a command in the Bible, we think, how can I apply that to my life? How can I be obedient to what God has shown me as the way? Now, I'm not talking about all the Old Testament ceremonial laws and dietary laws. You can eat catfish. It's okay. You can eat catfish, Uh, you don't have to bring a sacrifice, we don't have a tabernacle anymore, we don't have a temple. But the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, those things we see reiterated in the New Testament and substantiated in the New Testament, those things are for today. And when you read in the epistles, which I'm going to be unwrapping in a couple weeks, you get the epistles, there's a lot in the epistles that tell us about things we ought to do. Let me give you an example, let me give you an example, Uh, Philippians 2. Uh, verses 3 and 4, okay? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each, each of you to the interest of others. Now, this is written in the book of Philippians. This was written to Christian people. These were people who had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. These were people who knew God. This is, this, is not, this, is, this is not a grace, this is a you must. And he's saying this is how you should live. He's saying you should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but value others higher than yourself. Now, I want to tell you, if, you ever, if you're going to live that way, 
It takes God working in your life. You need the Holy Spirit within you, working within you, to bring you to that place and to enable you to do that. Because I want to tell you, your natural default position is to be selfish. Your natural default position is not to put others before yourself. Your natural default position is the same as Al's. It's to put yourself first. That's what comes natural to us. So, so what God's saying here is that, and what I think this is saying is that, and what James says is that works follow faith. Wanting to please God, wanting to do the things He's given to us as commands, not because He hates us, not, not because He wants to be a bully, but because He loves us, He wants to see us prosper, He wants to see us flourish as human beings, He says, live this way. And so we take a command like this, and I'll tell you what ought to happen. It's when you're in a command where it is your way or someone else's way, where they get to go first or you get to go first, the problem ought to be, the problem, we ought to have a problem. You know what the problem ought to be? The problem ought to be, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. That ought to be the problem that happens among Christian people. That's the problem we ought to have to solve. Then we ought to say, well, I'll defer to you. No, I'll defer to you. We'll do it. No, we'll do it your way. I just want to tell you, that is when Christianity is at its very best. That's when Christianity is flourishing. And there's a lot of other commands like that in Scripture that we've been given. And so, now how does that happen? It only happens out of relationship with God. I'm just telling you because that's not a natural reaction. Those are things that happens because the Spirit of God is working in us and it is the overflow of the work of God in our lives that we want to be obedient to Him. And when we encounter His truth, we say, I'm going to obey His truth. So, we're not saved by keeping the law. No one has ever been saved by keeping the law. We've always been saved by faith. But the commands in the Bible still matter. They still matter to us because they show us the way we should live. And I'm going to unwrap that a lot when we get to the epistles. So I'm not going to spend much time on that. But, but that's, that's the, the, the works that flow out of faith, true faith. So it's faith and then obedience. It's faith and then a life that's seeking to please God. It's a trust in God and then it's obeying because the old hymn, Trust and Obey, got it right. There really is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and to obey. And that's when we live the John 10, 10 life, the life that is abundant, that God plans for us. So if I've thoroughly confused you about grace and law today, you can catch me after service and I'll try to Straighten it out or we can talk sometime. Long story short, you're saved by faith alone plus nothing. The law had a purpose in the Old Testament. The commands in the New Testament have a purpose today to guide the way that God wants us to live. May He help us. As always, if I can help you take your next step on your journey of faith, please catch me. Let's stand for our closing prayer. Thanks to all of you who helped make the service happen today. For, for Lance, our auctioneer, and Jordan, that was a lot of fun. And uh, 
for Jason Cathcart and all of the Mexico mission folks that came today and took part in that and Nate explaining things. Uh, really appreciate that. Join us this afternoon, Super Bowl party if you can. We'd love to see you here. Come and have a good time with, with your church family. Father in heaven, thank you for grace. Thank you that you didn't say obey every one of the laws or you'll never be right with me because you're a good God and you knew we couldn't and we would all have miserably failed. So we thank you for the grace that you have shown to us that whoever we are and whatever we've done, your grace is greater than all our sin. We rejoice in that today. Be at work in all of our lives as we go from this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.